your Bibles with me tonight to the book of Galatians chapter 5. We'll be looking at just a few verses here, kind of as an introduction really to our study tonight. I have a lot of verses to show you tonight and I'm, uh, hopefully our media will be able to track with us on the overhead. Uh, we've had a lot of ground to cover, but uh, I pray that uh, it'll be a blessing to you. But let's begin, if you would, follow with me. I want to look in the book of Galatians where we see a lot of instruction here about walking in the Spirit, and it's contrasted with that battle, that struggle that we all have in the flesh, the difference between the Spirit and the flesh. Look with me, Galatians 5, pick it up with me in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, And these are contrary to one another, so that you uh, do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. The exhortation to walk in the Spirit and not the flesh. And that's something that I believe happens in our lives as the grace of God continues to develop us spiritually. Learning to walk in the Spirit is a progressive work. We don't just instantly, as we first become saved and become Christians, immediately walk in the fullness of the Spirit. It's something that we grow in, something that we learn to do over our time and journey as Christians. And it's hopefully something that's growing and something that's becoming more and more prevalent in our life. Growing and maturing spiritually by grace in order to walk and be led by the Spirit of God. Learning how to live practically and effectively for the Lord in this life. And so there are steps, and that's what I want to look at here tonight. Some of the steps. How is it? I think if I were to ask all of you tonight that know the Lord and have a relationship with Him... Wouldn't you like to be putting to death the deeds of the flesh and really walking and being led by the Spirit? We would all say, Amen. That's what we want. That's what we need. Let's look tonight at some of those practical steps. That's why tonight's study, one step at a time, understand some of the foundational steps towards developing a life being led by the Spirit. First thing I want you to notice is that it is really something very practical. I'll quote Chuck Smith here. Hopefully I'll have that up on the overhead for you. Uh, Walking in the Spirit is an amazingly practical proposition. It doesn't mean that we float through life with a halo over our head and an angelic smile on our face. We can be spiritually minded and still relate to people about earthly things. Some believers react so strongly against the pervasive worldliness of our culture that they lose the ability to communicate with their friends, relatives, and neighbors. Walking in the Spirit doesn't take us out of reality. It allows us to function in reality with optimum effectiveness. 
And that's what we want. We want our spiritual life to become something fruitful in our culture, in our generation. We want to be that salt, that light. Walking in the Spirit, don't think of that as kind of becoming so spiritual that you're just kind of living in this you know, mystical state, disconnected from reality and disconnected from the world around you. Jesus would say, don't be uh, of the world, but you are in the world. We are to live practically and be led of the Spirit, and I believe the Spirit in our lives will produce that kind of fruit. First thing that we want to look at then tonight in our understanding kind of steps to be led and to be walking in the Spirit is our relationship with the Lord. Relationship first. Before we can begin to walk, we must first be established in our relationship with God through grace. Walking takes balance, doesn't it? It takes sure footing. It takes a solid foundation. And so, in the same way that a child learns and grows in balance to walk, so we, learning in in our uh, developing our relationship with the Lord, it gives us that sense of balance and uh, foundation to walk in the Spirit. And a relationship with Him, you must understand, is based on what He has done for us. His love, His mercy, His salvation, His work of grace. What I'd like to do, and I'm going to take you, again, I'll have these passages for you on the overhead. I'd like to take you through just a little case study here in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is, uh, you're in Galatians, but I'm going to now kind of talk a little bit in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is, is a good example of this relationship first because the Apostle Paul kind of splits the book right down the middle. The book of Ephesians is six chapters. The first three chapters, all Paul talks about is the relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look through the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, you won't find any exhortation. What I mean is no instructions on how to live. Nothing like, you know, you should be doing this and don't be doing that. Nothing that you have to do. All really those first three chapters talk about is what God has already done for you. And and in so doing, Paul establishes that foundation of relationship first. And then the final three chapters, he gets into the practical instruction of how to live out your Christian life. So many times we want to just think practically, oh, I need to do this, and I need to do that, and I need to be this, and I need to be that. But we don't recognize that all of those things have to be built on the foundation of a secure relationship in Him first. Because in truth, you can't do anything on your own. You can't do anything in your own strength. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be falling short. You must first let the Lord establish you in who you are in Christ. And with that sense of security, that sense of knowing, that sense of truth, now living out the life that He's called you to live is really just the expression of the relationship that has become so real and true. So with that in mind, I want us to just kind of, I'm going to give you some of the verses uh, in Ephesians, and we'll just kind of go through them very quickly, uh, and you'll get an idea. As we go through these verses, here's what I want you to ask. I'm kind of giving you the highlights of the first three chapters of Ephesians. As we look at these verses, ask yourself, is there anything in that verse telling me what I need to do? Is there any instruction for me? In other words, I need to, you know, treat my wife differently, I need to respond to my children differently, I need to be careful how I walk uh, with my brethren. There's nothing of that kind of instruction in the whole first three chapters of the book. 
So with that in mind, let me give you some of the highlights. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. In Christ, all of your sins have been forgiven. Again, no instruction of what you must do, but only a declaration of what God has done. Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings, you've been forgiven all sins, and you have been given the gift, the seal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 18 through 19, the Apostle Paul, this is his prayer for the Ephesians. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of His mighty power. Do you see the emphasis? It's all what God has done. His inheritance, His power, the exceeding greatness of His power, the the working of His mighty power. All that God has done for you in Christ Jesus. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, the full force of God's grace and power comes into your life. Nothing else that you have to do. It can't be increased. It can't be decreased. The fullness of it has been given. And that's why Paul is saying, boy, I just pray that you would see this, that you could know this, because as you begin to know this and see this, it's going to empower you in the way that you would live and and walk through your Christian journey. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. How did, how did salvation come to us? It came from a God who was rich in mercy because of his great love. Nothing that you and I have done, nothing that we've earned, but only what God has given. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I've also given you the New Living Translation of that verse. I like the way it reads, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You see that it's all, again, the work of His hand. Ephesians 2.19 Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You've been adopted into the family by the grace of God. Ephesians 3, verse 17 through 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, this language, it is so rich, it is so filled with, you know, expression. Almost, you know, 
As though, as though Paul were, were running out of adequate words to really define the, the beauty, the grace, the wonder, the power of God's love that has been given to you in Christ. And his prayer for this church in Ephesus, oh, that you would see it. Oh, if you would just come to the full glimpse of what God has done for you, how much he loves you, how much he has done for you in Christ the fullness of it, the power, everything that you need, not only for this life, but for eternity. God loves you so. And this truth is something that needs to be communicated in our hearts as well, that we would know, that we would see these things, and that it would cause us to be rooted and grounded. Ephesians 3.20. This is the last reference out of the first three chapters I'll give you. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above, All that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's just almost overwhelming when you consider what God has done for us in Christ. And it really does take the eyes of your heart. It takes a spiritual understanding to come into the full grasp of this. And that's my prayer for us tonight as well. That's my prayer as we work our way this summer through a study on the grace of God. I want you to see it in its, in its glory. I want you to understand how much God loves and how much God has committed himself towards you and the fullness of what God has for you. And, and, the, and, the, and the, at the end, Paul says, oh, I pray that, that God, the, the God who is able to do exceedingly above and beyond even beyond what you think God is able to bless and wants to bless. After those first three chapters, and you notice, not one word of what you and I should be doing. Not one instruction about what you need to do as a Christian. Only the description of what God has done. Not what is due, but rather what is done. It's in that context, with that foundation beneath your feet, That chapter 4 begins in verse 1, I therefore, that means therefore, in light of everything that I've just said in the first three chapters of my letter. Now, of course, the letters weren't originally broken into chapters, so Paul didn't mean this in chapters. But everything I've said thus far, that is the, in in light of that, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So now, with that foundation of relationship, with that understanding of who you are in Christ, now I'm asking you, walk in a way that would be worthy of this grace that has been poured into your life. And we know the last three chapters of Ephesians 4 through 6, some of the the most wonderful practical instructions for the church talking about how to, how to handle ourselves within the church, talking about how to handle ourselves relationship one with another. It gets into the practical application of, of how, to op, how to conduct ourselves in, on the job, in the family, in the home, husbands towards wives, wives towards husbands, children towards parents, all kinds of practical instruction for us in the latter three chapters. But you must consider all of that instruction in the context in which Paul gave it. Paul didn't just come to the church and say, okay, guys, I got a list of things you need to work on. And you need to get started, man. You know, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Uh Uh-oh. 
busted. Uh, wives, respect your husbands as, un, as you know, as unto the Lord. Uh oh, not that's not going over. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, and if 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 Paul just came with all of these instructions, you know, it might be discouraging. You might read all that and you say, who can live up to that? Who can do any of that? And the truth is we cannot do any of those things in our own strength. We cannot do these things by our own effort, our own willpower. But God has not asked us to. God has asked you merely to understand the relationship that he has, you and he, the power that has been entrusted to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God. And with that understanding now, Begin to walk this way. And it flows out of a relationship with him that he is empowering, that he is working, that he he is accomplishing. Isn't that what we read in the first those early verses? According to, to his mighty power that works in us. That's the context in which those instructions come. And that's really the first step. The first step in being a child of God that's going to walk in the spirit is you must have a good foundation beneath you, knowing who you are as a child of God, knowing the forgiveness, knowing the grace, knowing the power of God that has been entrusted to you in the person of the Holy Spirit, understanding the resources, the commitment that God has made for you to do well. And that's what God desires. He desires you and I to do well. He's not calling us to some standard so that we can all fall short, but rather he's calling us to a relationship. And in that context, he's going to be with us and helping us and, and maturing us and growing us. Step one in walking in the spirit is understanding the relationship that I have with God in the spirit. Secondly, we must also, before we can really effectively walk in the spirit, we must also learn to sow to the Spirit. And when I say sow to the Spirit, I, I really mean strengthen the Spirit man. Sowing is a term, it's an it's a agricultural term, right? It means scattering and planting seed. You would sow seed to reap a harvest. If you don't sow, you don't ex- expect to reap a harvest, right? You know, if you don't plant in, in planting time, you don't go out during harvest time and look for your crop. It's not there, you never plant it. So you must sow in order to reap. And so it is in the spirit realm. We must sow to the spirit if we ultimately expect to reap a harvest of spiritual fruit and and spiritual power in our lives. And that's the second thing that I'd like to focus on here tonight. First, we must recognize that there are two natures. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. We read it, but I'll remind you of it. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. How many of you have have noticed that battle raging within? Anybody recognize that there there is something of the spirit and the flesh that don't seem to be on the same page? They're not on the same page at all. And so we must recognize that there are, there are these natures that want to kind of rise up and dominate within us. That old man, that, the Bible says that we, that, that old nature, that old fleshly nature has been crucified with Christ. He is actually dead. I just wish that he would stay dead. He always wants to kind of come back and reestablish himself. 
He's always looking for an opportunity to resurrect in our lives. But the Bible tells us that just in the same way that Christ was crucified, so our old nature has been crucified. We are dead to sin, and we are now alive to God in Christ. But it is a, a, a kind of a daily decision that we have to make in order to walk in that reality. And so we must recognize this nature, and if we're going to reap a harvest, we've got to sow to the Spirit. If I'm sowing to the flesh, if I'm doing everything that, that feeds and strengthens my carnal desires and, and feeds my flesh, I can't hope that somehow I'm going to produce a spiritual crop. Right? The Bible says, don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. You know, we can't just keep living for the flesh and, and imagine that somehow we're going to reap a spiritual harvest. No, we're going to have to learn to strengthen the spirit. Again, I quote Chuck Smith here. How easy it is to fall into the trap of making a bold profession of a vital spiritual life when our number one priority is seeking to please the flesh. Certainly the power that our fallen nature can hold over us is one of the biggest problems we face in life. How can we be free from the seemingly unquenchable bond unconquerable bondage to the flesh? The simple yet profound answer is this. Don't fight the flesh. Strengthen the spirit. Don't fight against the darkness. Turn on the light. This is the key, and this is simple but profound. If, if you're finding a struggle within yourself, this old nature wanting to rise up and dominate your life and your decisions and your actions... And you can't seem to slay it. You can't seem to, to, to get rid of these things. And the, the tendency is that, you know, we just, I just gotta try harder. I just gotta more willpower. I just gotta, you know, resist more firmly. And there will be some willpower involved. There is always some resisting the devil and he will flee. But that's, that in and of itself will not really conquer the, tr- the trouble of the flesh. You're going to have to learn how to strengthen the Spirit. We read it earlier in Galatians. If you'll walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the deeds of the flesh. And I have to say this is profound. It's been profound even in my own life. I can remember as a young man, you know, really will, trying to willpower the flesh under control. And I found that I was really not able to win that battle just through fighting the flesh. But I learned that if I would strengthen the Spirit, if I would sow to the Spirit, if I would do those things that would strengthen my spiritual man, then the Spirit would then take dominance over the things of the flesh, and God began to give freedom, God began to bear fruit. I began to reap a harvest of spiritual life, not the flesh. And so... These are the things that I want to bring your attention to tonight. How do I strengthen my spirit? What do I do? What are the practical things that we can do to sow and strengthen our spiritual man? Well, number one, the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. If you're going to strengthen your spiritual man, you're going to have to feed your spiritual man. The word of God is likened to bread. It's like nourishment to the spirit. 
If you don't eat physically for days on end, what happens? You get weak. You even get you know feeble. You may even become sickly. Imagine trying to live physically on some of the diets that we feed our spiritual man. I mean, I imagine to say we would be much thinner. <laughs> and some of us might even be, you know, feeble and weak. Because we feed our spiritual man, oh, every now and then. We feed the spiritual man with the Word of God, well, once in a while. Oh, I mean to, I want to, I'm going to get to that. Oops, I got busy. Well, maybe tomorrow. Boy, you don't treat your physical body that way, do you? I'm hungry, but, you know, I'm busy, maybe tomorrow. Oh, no way, man. Everything stopped. I'm hungry. And as you feed, you know, the spiritual man, it's the same kind of relationship. You must take care to your spiritual man. You must nourish your spirit. You must feed him. To strengthen our spiritual man, we must maintain a steady and healthy diet of the Word of God. A healthy diet of the Word should be a regular consistent and systematic time in his word regular it means that we're that we are on a kind of a, a pattern if you will where we are regularly in the word of god it's not you know hit and miss here today you know maybe a couple weeks later or you know it's something that goes on regularly in the same way that we we tend to our our physical nourishment consistent and systematic what I mean by that is that it's not just kind of a, oh, well, I need to, you know, I need to get into the Word here. Let's just see. Uh, okay. You know, here we go. This is good. Oh, this, yeah, this, oh, I don't understand that one. Oh, well, maybe tomorrow. And, uh, you know, you're just kind of bouncing around. Oh, I know I need to read the Word. I need to read the Word. I mean, and you just kind of pop in anywhere. And it's just kind of this really lack of focus, lack of real diligence in understanding what God has given to you in the Word. Or you go maybe just to your favorite passages. We all love the Psalms. We all love Proverbs, some of those places. And there's nothing wrong with spending time there and spend time there every day, but not to the neglect of the rest of God's Word. Paul talked about this to the, uh, when he was speaking to the elders at, in Ephesus. He said, I have not neglected to declare to you the whole counsel of God's Word. Paul said, listen, I gave you the full diet. You know, I didn't just give you the, the, the sweet morsels that you wanted. I gave you the full counsel. You've got to eat your greens. You've got you to get the full counsel of God's Word into your heart. If we want to grow and, and nourish this spiritual man, he must be fed with the Word. And a healthy diet is very, very important. Systematic, a balanced diet. All that God has for us. Number two, another way in which we strengthen and feed our spiritual man is through communion with God. We must spend time in His Word. We must spend time with Him. James 4 8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Now, as we read in those passages in Ephesians, God has already given himself. God has already made himself available. His love, he has initiated everything. And now he invites you to this place of fellowship. God now invites you to come and draw near to him. He's made the way. He's made it possible. He's always available. He's always willing. He's always inviting us to come and spend time with him. Something takes place when you are in the presence of the Lord. 
And when I say in the presence, you know, God is omnipresent. You're never anywhere that he's not there. But I'm talking about this dynamic of drawing near to him. In other words, focused attention, focused effort to be in spending time with him, putting aside the distractions and coming to the Lord in prayer, coming to the Lord in worship, coming to the Lord and just being with him. You know, we live in such a busy time, don't we? And we live in such a technological time. Uh, I'm not much. I'm, I'm kind of miss. I'm a little bit behind the technology curve. My kids are definitely into the new technology and the phone texting and thing. It takes me, you know, about five minutes to text, you know, uh, how are you? <laughs> so I'm not a real good texter. But, you know, I'm amazed. Even my wife's very good, too. You know, what'd you say? Oh, I just told him that I'm going to the store and I'll be back in the day. How could, you know, how did you do all that? But it just, but, you know, you see this, don't you? And I, and I notice this even sometimes when I'm, when I'm talking with, with some of my family. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, Dad, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. What are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm texting three friends while I'm listening to you. No, you're not. You're not, you know. We're looking for some sense of kind of, putting aside the distractions but we're so we're used to this we're used to that kind of stimulus almost all the time it's hard to slow down it's hard to set it down it's hard to turn it off it's hard to stop and be still and know that he is god and yet it is such a vital vital part of strengthening your spirit because there is a nourishment that comes from god listen you were made for fellowship with Him. You were made for relationship with Him. And apart from that fellowship, apart from that nourishment, you are incomplete. You are not getting better. You're you're growing weaker spiritually. You need to be in His presence. Prayer. We talked about this even on, on Sunday, how important our prayer life is. Staying in constant communication with God. An open channel. Continual conversation. Bible says... Pray without ceasing, ceasing, turning daily tasks even into an opportunity for prayer. How about when you're commuting? You know, when you're in the car, pray. I mean, find ways to communicate with God. Keep that channel going, even in your tasks, maybe even some chores, things that you have to do. You can be praying. Now, I, do, I do encourage you to have some, some quiet time, some time where you're not doing anything but praying and bringing your heart and requests and, and worship to the Lord. But I think that you can pray in, you know, stay in an attitude and heart and communication of prayer all through the day. I like to pray when I'm in the car. You know what I found, though, when I come up to a red light and I'm praying and then somebody pulls up next to me and they, I can see that they're looking at me, I quit I. I, I, I quit moving my lips, you know. Lord, I'll be right back with you. <laughs> I don't want this guy to think I'm nuts, you know, at the stoplight, right? But this idea of communicating with the Lord, bringing your Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything. Live your life with Him. Live your life before Him. Stay in fellowship with Him. There is a spiritual strength that comes to you. You're sowing to the Spirit. You're planting spiritual. Uh, uh, you're planting a spiritual harvest as you stay close to the Lord in prayer. What about worship? Worship is a part of our prayer life. 
prayer, if we define prayer as simply communicating, talking to God, and I think that is as simple as it is, speaking to the Lord. Worship is certainly prayer. We're speaking to Him of the greatness of His name and His nature. We're giving Him a a, a thanks, a praise. We're just honoring Him. We're just loving on Him, expressing our love, our honor, our praise, our thanks. This, too, is prayer. And there is a spiritual nourishment that comes into the heart of a worshiper. There is something that is spiritually healthy in our worship life. And it's something that you must set your heart to do. You can make the choice. Listen, you don't have to worship. Even as a believer, you can be very sparse about your worship. But I would encourage you, if you want to sow to the Spirit, if you want to strengthen that spirit man, you should be a worshiper. I, I I remind you of Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And this is just one of hundreds of psalms that would highlight this. But I want you to see something here. Look what the psalmist says. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I will, I will, I will. God, I will be a worshiper. God, I will declare these things. I will sing praise to you. I will. I set my heart to be a worshiper of God. And I just say this, a little side note on worship. Worship happens to be one of my passions, so allow me this freedom. You know, oftentimes I think this, this idea of worship, we imagine that it's going to be a, a kind of a, 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 a spiritual experience that's going to overtake me. And so I come into the sanctuary and they're playing the music and I start to sing the song and I'm waiting for, for, the, for the worship, you know, spirit to catch me up. And it's like, oh, oh, it just, how was worship today? Uh, it, 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 it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> worship didn't happen today. You know, I don't know the sound, the music, the songs. I don't know. Worship just wasn't good today. As if worship is something, you know, that, that you get caught up in. Versus something that you set your heart to do. If worship was not so good, it's because you didn't worship very good. Worship is something that you bring to the Lord. You're not something, okay, worship leader, okay, people, here I am, you know, whip, whip, whip it up. Let's see what you got. What do you got for me today? Is that it? That all you got? Uh. You don't maybe consciously think this, but you know, I think sometimes we, we get into that idea. I just wasn't feeling it today. I didn't feel the worship. My goodness. If God is only worthy of your worship when you're feeling it, then you don't know your God yet. You don't see Him yet. Paul, you need to go back to Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That you would know the height, the depth, the width, the greatness of his love for you. If you can get a glimpse of that, you can become a worshiper. I will, said the psalmist. I will, I will, I will. And we need those times of worship. You need that expression. The feelings do come. Not every single service, but often they do. But I've found that oftentimes my feelings follow the setting of my will. If I let my will follow my feelings, it's, it's really a, it's just up and down, crazy kind of a journey. Versus a setting, a determination. Is God worthy? 
Am I his child? Has he done these things for me? Is this true? Is, are these things true of him? I will declare them. I will set my heart to thank him. I will give him what is due his name. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. My praise should be in a reflection of his greatness. And if he's great, then my praise should be great. If he's not so great, then my praise doesn't have to be so great. But he is great. <laughs> and I want my worship and my praise to reflect that. And I believe that worship is an important part of sowing to the Spirit our communion time with the Lord. Bottom line, guys, if we're negligent in caring for our spiritual man, then he's going to be weak, he's going to be feeble, and the flesh is going to dominate. Finally, walking in the Spirit. That's, that's our ultimate goal, is to be walking, living our lives in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being full of the Spirit, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this word walk in the New Testament, it, is a, it, it, it talks about the manner in which you live your life. It talks about the dominant characteristic of a person's life. Now, all of us fall short. All of us miss the mark on occasion. But walking in the Spirit talks about the dominant characteristic of your life, how you are most often living your life. And it needs to be done in the Spirit. And again, quoting from the, some of the texts that we originally read here tonight, Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you what? Shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also... Oh, I guess they're not up there. <laughs> no wonder you're so, you know, really finishing these verses for me. All right, let me read them to you. Walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So are you living, are you alive tonight in the Spirit? Then God calls you also to be walking in the Spirit. And walking assumes movement. It means we're going somewhere. It means we're doing something under the power of the Spirit and under the leading of the Spirit. Walking, a walk in the Spirit is, is living your life in a spiritual way. God is influencing your life. God's not just someone added to your life. God is your life. Your life now has been bought by Him, and you're now living out a life that is under His direction, power, and control. I want to be a child of God led by His Spirit. I don't want to be making my own choices, my own decisions, going my own way, and then asking God to come and bless. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. And you can see how that time in His Word and that time in prayer would enhance that opportunity to be walking and to be led by Him. Being led by the Spirit in our day-to-day lives. Guys, I think it needs to get down in just to where we live practically. Romans 8.14 For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The true children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And practically, this means that we're going to be making choices every single day. You're going to have opportunities to either follow and obey the leading of the Spirit, or you're going to have an opportunity to yield and give place to the flesh. Every day, you're going to be faced with those challenges. Every day, you're going to have the opportunity to be led by the Spirit. And if your spirit man is strong... You're going to be walking and being led by the Spirit. It's going to become natural to you. It's going to become second nature to you. 
It's going to become actually, I hope, first nature to you. But if your spirit man is weak, and you've not been faithful to feed and strengthen him, then, then the flesh is going to dominate. And you're going to have a very difficult time battling. Much of the battle is in the mind, isn't it? If we remember, well, let me give you a quote here again from Chuck. It can't be overemphasized that this is a choice each of us must make daily. Isn't that what Jesus said? Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Every day a choice is made to be led by the Spirit to follow him. And there is a battle that will rage in your mind. Paul in Romans 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And you, you know that to be true. You've tasted that in your own life. When you let your mind go after the flesh and your mind go after carnal things, it leads you to those actions, to those deeds. And what does it produce in the end? But death and misery and frustration and bondage. Versus the mind that is set on the spirit. To be spiritually minded, the Bible says, is life and peace. And that spiritual mind is the result and the fruit of a, of, a, of a mind that has been renewed by the Word of God, of a mind that has been nourished by a spirit man that is strong through fellowship and prayer and worship and communion with God. Setting your mind to, to, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I would say this most of the time, not always, but I'll say this many times, Many times we know what to do. We just simply don't do it. We choose to do the wrong thing. It's not that you don't know what God is trying to lead and, and produce in your life, but often it is just that we don't follow that leading. We don't submit to that opportunity to be led by His Spirit. But I also want to speak to you about those times when we don't really know what to do. Because I think that happens in our life as well. I think there are times when I want to be led and directed by the Spirit, but I'm not sure what to do. Decisions come. I have to make a decision. I have to make a choice. Maybe it's concerning a job. Maybe it's concerning a family situation. Maybe it's concerning ministry. And I really do in my heart, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to make the right decision, but I'm not sure what to do. And how, how can I be confident that I'm being led by the Spirit in those times? And I think all of us experience those kinds of crossroads. In fact, even the Apostle Paul, we, if you read it in the book of Acts, there were times when they weren't sure what to do. They tried to go this way and the Spirit forbade them. So they tried to go this way and the Spirit closed that door. Finally, Paul had a dream in the middle of the night and saw this man saying, come over and help us. He said, oh, that must be the way God wants me to go. And so it's not always you know, crystal clear how do I walk in the Spirit? How am I led by the Spirit? How can I be assured that every decision that I make is in the Spirit? And the truth is there is no magic formula. It's some of it just has to be learned through relationship with Him. Some of it comes through walking with the Lord over time and through season. Some of it comes through the work that God does in your heart as you grow and, and, and mature in the Word of God. 
You know, his, his knowledge, your knowledge of the Word begins to expand. Your knowledge base of who he is revealed in his Word begins to grow. And so you, you begin to grow in your understanding of how to be led by the Spirit. But some of it, frankly, it's just you're going to have to take a step of faith. It'll be some of it even trial and error. But let me give you a few practical things here. How can I know? How can I be sure? And you may not ever be able to be 100% sure, but there are some things practically that you can do. Because the Spirit of God doesn't often come out of a voice in the clouds, right? The clouds part and the voice from heaven, Richard, go this way. I don't hear that. I've never heard that. I've never felt that. I've never had that kind of a mystical revelation. Oftentimes, I have to make decisions based on what I sense the Lord is speaking into my heart. And it comes through that time in His Word and that time in prayer. I'm asking the Lord, speak to me. Lord, lead me. And oftentimes I feel as though the Lord gives an impression, if you will, a a sense of understanding into my heart. He just gives me, drops something in, and I, I sense that this may be the Lord. I'm not always sure, and I begin to pray about it. Sometimes I, I just wait on it. I've learned that some of my ideas, if it's my idea, it'll dissipate usually in a couple of days. If it's really the Lord's idea, it doesn't dissipate. It actually gets stronger. It grows because the Holy Spirit begins to actually grow it in, in my heart. So sometimes just waiting is a good, a good uh, exercise just to see what is of the Lord and what isn't. Secondly, I do believe that God will lead you through the Holy Spirit. I want to be led of the Spirit. I want God to communicate with me. Paul said in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Not everything that you want to do is necessarily something of the flesh. I've heard this before. Oh, that must not be God because that's something I want to do. (laughs) It may be that God has given you that desire to do that. It may be that that is exactly what the Lord, because it may be that he is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, not everything I want to do is of the Lord, and some things can be easily dismissed as really just selfish or carnal. But sometimes God will, will move a desire in your heart. And it just becomes something that, that he's doing to lead you by his spirit. It's okay to follow those things that you desire. Not in a carnal, fleshly, selfish sort of way, but in, in something that you believe is of interest to you and that per- perhaps God is leading you to that. That may be the Lord actually directing and guiding your steps. You know, there was a time in our life where we came to a place, my wife and I, where we wanted to be sent out. We had talked with our pastor for many years. We'd been praying about it, and we felt like it was time to be sent out and plant a church. Where to go? I don't know where to go. God, tell us where to go. We began to pray and ask the Lord where to go, where to go. He didn't, he didn't say anything. <laughs> Not that I could discern, you know. So I started driving around the city. I just, on, on the weekends, I'd get in my car and I'd take a couple brothers with me, come on, let's just drive around the greater Los Angeles area and we'll just pray. And maybe God will just, you know, part the clouds and show us something will happen. Well, ga- thankfully, gas was a little cheaper then. We drove all over the place. God never showed us anything. And so I just kind of, well, okay, Lord, I don't know, but we'll just, we know that, and, and even uh, Pastor Brian, he said, oh, no, I think it's time. Be, be looking. Let's be praying. And it just happened that I was working at that time up in Arcadia. And I was up in the Arcadia area every day. Now, I hadn't been working up in this area for many, many years. 
uh, I had been working in another city, in other cities. But it just so happened that at that season where we were really praying and beginning to seek uh, you know, the Lord as to where we would be going to, to plant a work, I was working up in the city of Arcadia, and I was up here every day. So, you know, I just began to kind of, well, Lord, this is not too bad up here in the foothills of Arcadia. Maybe, maybe you want to, maybe this is where I am a lot of my time anyway. Maybe this would be a good place to start a work. So I began to pray about it, began to do a little research. And, you know, I'd found, I discovered that there had been a, a Calvary style work that had been here, but was no longer in the community. And I thought, well, here, maybe there's even a little, a little uh, vacuum here. Maybe there's a little need for something like what we're desiring to do. And then, then I found that there were a couple people that were fellowshipping where we were in La Mirada that actually lived up in this area that were commuting down. And when they were, when they heard that, that I was considering this area, they came and said, Hey, you know, we'll, we'd love to see a work planted up there. We'll come with you. We would like to be a part of it. And so through that, just kind of practical way, I got to tell you, there was no divine kind of word from heaven. It just, it just so happened, and I believe that it was divine, and I believe that it was the Lord. It just so happened that it made practical sense because I was up here already to look to start a work in this community. And then on that note, we began to knock on doors and we began to pray. And we began to announce to the church in La Mirada, listen, be praying for us because we're thinking of going to plant a work up in Arcadia. And Brother Barney and his wife Marilyn They said, oh, we used to live up there in Arcadia. We'll show you around the neighborhood. We're not coming, but we'll show you around the neighborhood. That was their, you know, that was clear in their commitment. You know, we're just going to show you the the area because we know the turf, but, you know, be blessed. (laughs) And Barney will tell you this story. And uh, so up he came, and we began to look around and knock on doors and, uh, most of them were closed, but God did ultimately open a door in the community center at Monrovia. And so we ended up in Monrovia. And during that process, I got a phone call from Brother Barney. He said, Brother, I don't know how to say this, but the Lord told me I'm supposed to come with you. And I said, Praise the Lord. Let's go. And uh, so we've been here, and that was seven years ago. God started a work. And I'm, I'm, who could above and beyond all that we could have ever asked or thought? Who could have seen this? Just a handful of us. I, never, I didn't see this, but God did. And God very naturally was working supernaturally. You understand that when you just set your heart to serve him, and you set your heart to, to want to walk with him, he will direct your steps. You don't have to worry that somehow you're going to end up in the wrong city. God, God knows how to get you to the right city. God knows how to get you to the right job. God knows how to bring you to the right place if your heart is after him. And, if you're, and you're, you're walking in the spirit to the best that you know. And your heart is sincere before him. I believe that God will direct your steps. He will guide you by his spirit. And of course, he will always guide you by his word. Listen, I'll just say this. I think you know this, but let me just say it. He will never lead you in a way that is contradictory to his word. Anything that you think is of the spirit that isn't consistent in the word of God is not of his spirit. God's not confused. God hasn't said one thing and now saying to you something else. God will always speak in a way that is consistent and confirming of his word. And sometimes you just have to take steps. Take small steps of faith. Don't leap out. Take a step. 
Lord, I think this is you. I think that this might be your hand. I think that this might be you directing me. I'm going to take a step towards it. I'm going to begin to pray about it. I'm going to begin to knock on some doors. I'm going to begin to look and seek you in this area. I'm going to start moving towards this. And then see what the Lord will do. See if the Lord opens doors. See if the Lord doesn't begin to direct and open and manifest this is his will. That's what we've experienced here. God confirming it. It wasn't that every step was easy. It wasn't that every, every door just swung open. But there was something of God's confirming along the way. And we knew that this was of the Lord. Uh, we wouldn't have done it. We wouldn't be able to have done it. We wouldn't be able to have sustained it apart from the grace and the work of God. So I encourage you tonight to consider walking in the Spirit. Can I simply say that it is the best. It is the best way to live your life. Being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. It is so fruitful. It is such a joy. It is such a peace. It is such a blessing. And this is what God has for you. This is what God's grace has come to produce in our lives. A life that would be led by the Spirit. A life walking in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these principles that speak to us tonight about walking in the Spirit. This is indeed a part of your grace in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray tonight for those hearts that are here. There may be some, Lord, that are really weak spiritually. And I pray that you would encourage them here tonight, Lord, not discourage them, but encourage them that, that you love them, that you have provided everything that they need. As we read in Ephesians, every spiritual blessing has been given. Oh, the love of God is beyond knowledge. It is unsearchable. He's, it, it would overwhelm you to know and to, and to see it in, in its fullness how he loves you. And that you would receive that love tonight and know that you can be strong spiritually. God has given you all that you need. He's given you this wonderful access to himself. That you would come and pray. Draw near to me. Come, I'll meet with you. I'm available. Allow me into the the day-to-day of your life. Take time for me. Set it aside. Be still. Come. Sabbath with me. Rest in my presence. Come and worship. Come and honor Him with praise and thanksgiving. Open His Word and and let it begin to speak to you. Listen, if if you're having a hard time in His Word, pray. God, help me to understand it. Open it up to me, Lord. Show me wondrous things from your law. Teach me, God, these things that will strengthen my spiritual man. I encourage you tonight. If you're here tonight and you're spiritually weak, come to the fountain. Come and be nourished afresh and made strong. Let this be day one in a, in a, in a movement back towards being strong again spiritually. And if you're here today and maybe you're facing some decisions, it may be that you're wondering, Lord, I've got some steps before me. I'm not sure. I need your guidance. I need your help. Just submit it to him tonight. Let's give him these concerns. Let's cast these cares upon him. Let's not be anxious. Let's submit it to him in prayer. Lord, I do. I pray that you would. Hear the requests of your people tonight and that you would send answer to them, Lord. That it would come possibly even very practically in their life, very naturally. 
and yet it will be a divine supernatural work, and that they would be encouraged to move towards it in faith, taking steps, wanting not to be in their own will, but wanting to be walking in the Spirit. And finally here tonight, Lord, there may be some that that do not have a relationship with you, or perhaps their relationship has grown so cold and so distant that they need to come back and return to you. And as our heads are bowed, I just want to give this invitation. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, you don't have this wonderful relationship that we're talking about. It's the foundation for everything else. God working in your life, God working through your life, all of it comes out of your relationship with Him. And it begins by receiving. Nothing you have to do. You saw it as we looked at those three chapters in Ephesians. No instruction for what you must do but really a declaration of what God has done. You must merely receive it tonight by faith. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never received this love of Jesus Christ into your life, the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, the love that He wants to really shower upon your life. I'd love to pray for you. If you're here tonight and want to receive Him, or if you're here tonight and you want to rededicate your life to Him, talking about those who have grown cold in their walk with Him, you're distant from Him. You know if the Lord is speaking to you tonight. You're here tonight and you need to come back. Maybe you did know Him. Maybe you once walked in the Spirit. But tonight, for whatever reason, whether it's sin or hurt, despair, discouragement, circumstance, but you know God is speaking to your heart tonight. And He's saying, oh, come back to me. Come back and establish this close fellowship that I long with you. And I'll lead you by my Spirit and fill you and strengthen you. I'd love to pray for you too. If you're here tonight and you need the Lord for the very first time or you want to rededicate your life to Him, would you simply raise your hand where you're seated and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight, God is speaking to you. Bless you. You're in the front, in the center. God bless you, ma'am, in the back as well. Yes, ma'am. Bless you, sir. Any others, the Lord is speaking to you tonight and you, you want to be included in this prayer. Just before I pray, anyone else? Let me see your hand. I'll pray with you. God bless you, ma'am. Oh, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the love that you have for us. Lord, we, we must confess that your love for us is almost beyond what we can fully understand. But I pray tonight that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. And that for those that raise their hands tonight, that they would know what is the hope of your calling. And what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance for them. And what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards them. And that they would come to know the fullness, the width, the length, the depth and height of your love. I pray that you would forgive them of their sins as they confess and are honest before you tonight. We're not coming to hide, Lord. We're coming to be real with you. We're coming to say, Jesus, help us. We're sinners. We want to change. We want to live for you, not running from you. So forgive us tonight and cleanse us by the blood of Jesus that was 
spilled at the cross when you died for me, Lord. Forgive me, cleanse me, and now fill me with your Spirit that I might be a child of God, living by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being led of the Spirit, enjoying the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Fill us and strengthen us, we pray tonight, Lord. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.